This is a Hive Mind Studio production. Hello, gods and goblins, deities and deviants, and my fellow what the fucks. You're listening to Playing with Advantage, the informative podcast with the various aspects of the tabletop role playing genre. I am always M. Kenneth Moffat, aka Southern DD across the various platforms. And with me, we have the Hive Daddy himself. Hi. James Bardwell. How you doing, James? I'm good. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing great. Uh, and last, but certainly not least, for he is first among those who dwell within the deep pit, is Mr. Brody himself. I will crawl out of this hole and eat everything. Ah, uh, <coughs> with or without paprika. What is your favorite seasoning when you devour reality? Uh, no, that's, that's a topic from a different subject. We'll, we'll get to that later. That's, that's uh, cooking, cooking with Cthulhu. So, uh, <laughs> souls. <laughs> so, Today's topic is one that, honestly, it's a topic that a lot of people kind of want to glance over because it can be something that's kind of on the darker aspects of the tabletop role-playing genre, and that is a term known as gatekeeping. Uh, now, apparently, I'm to, what has become my catchphrase for this podcast, we will define our terms. Gatekeeping is the act of limiting access or accessibility to a fandom, to a, a genre, to a topic, because you believe someone is not quote unquote worthy to be part of that fan. So for me, a lot of it is not necessarily in regards to someone's worthiness as it is to the person who's doing the gatekeeping, feeling like they have the right to set the qualifiers for the community, right? Gatekeeping, in my experience, is usually used as a negative term. Um, and we've kind of talked about that a little bit, you know, leading up to this. There is a positive way that you can kind of guard the community yes. from things that are harmful. And I think we've kind of talked about that in the terms of safekeeping. Safekeeping, yes. So I, I would say that here, like today, what we're kind of going at is discussing the differences of gatekeeping versus safekeeping and kind of rounding those out and defining them more. Yeah. Uh, now, by by no means in any any amount do, and I think I can speak for all of us with playing with advantage when I say this, do we adhere to any form of gatekeeping? No. The D&D, the tabletop role-playing community is, in my opinion, is meant to be open and accepting because it came out of those of us who were disenfranchised in yep. our younger days. Yep. Those of us who didn't fit into the status quos, who weren't, you know, the cool kids on campus, who weren't, you know, the jocks and all that kind of stuff. Which now, you know, the... It's such an accepted thing now, and it's uh, the the RPG world is so open and mainstream. There's a comfortable place for people to inject themselves into the hobby without that disenfranchised element. Not that that's not still a great home for yeah. those people, but uh, to those people, I would like to say you're welcome. Because <laughs> <laughs> the thing about back in the day, the the connotation, the stereotype of the D and D player was the very socially inept, nerdy individual. Yeah who didn't fit into society, who maybe wasn't the cool kid, didn't have a lot of friends. And so this was where they could retreat and break away from that reality of mundaneness, the doldrums of life. Yeah. But nowadays, you've got people like Ben Diesel, um, yeah. Travis Willingham, all the people on Critical Role, uh, you know, um, Danny Trejo, Machete himself. You had all these great, amazing, charismatic people who don't fit that stereotype that are just nerds among nerds and love D&D and various other aspects Let's also of the nerd culture. Let's also not forget Mr. Terry Crews. We cannot forget Mr. Terry Crews. I mean, I, I, don't, I can't forget his pecs, man. They're, they're, they haunt me. It's like a, it's like a sad pop, dream. Pop, pop. 
I just saw an, an ad not too long ago about two NFL players starting their own campaign, and it had a an ad run during a like Monday Night Football game, and I was like, "What? <laughs> wow! I mean, yeah, like the voice actors for Critical Role that that is a multi million dollar corporation now. It's no longer is D and D the game of being played in my mom's basement." Uh, you know, with with you know all of us standing there in robes and cardboard swords, as the the song by Stephen Lynch likes to say. I mean, now, like I I know myself, I've got my natural one stream. Uh, Brody has Stagande. You have an entire community you've basically fostered and built on acceptance, and it's it's this kind of openness, this kind of uh, accessibility to not just D and D, but to D and D Pathfinder, to the nerd cultures as a whole. That I think is it's good for the community. Yeah. Now, that being said, I I was not always the very accepting, open-minded individual I I am today. I used to be because of where and how I was raised. I was very close-minded. I hate to admit that, but I will. Mm-hmm. So I can see the arguments, not even arguments. I can see the reason that people often would give for while you know you're not allowed into this. I will state for the record, they are BS arguments. Yep. But I know those arguments. And a lot of that stems out of, as much things do, fear. They are so scared that if they open this up to new people, to new ideas, new aspects, that it's going to change for the worse. Or you have just those that they don't want to share. They don't believe that, well, you know, you didn't go through what we did. You weren't picked on and bullied as a kid. So you don't get to sit with us now at the table and play D&D and roll dice because you didn't overcome what we did to get here. Yeah. The gatekeeping that I have kind of seen and experienced, like coming up through the hobby for a lot of years, it was, it was when people would associate their identity uh, with what they did in the game, um, and they f- would feel like that gave them some sort of authority. And the gatekeeping that issued from that was a means for them to maintain control. Yeah. Because people, people want to feel like they have some kind of control over their life. And like you said, it is the fear, I believe, of losing that control that is the root of that. You know, it, if you're disenfranchised and you find a place that makes you feel like you have some kind of control in your life, it is terrifying to feel like you're going to lose that. So you want to protect that at whatever cost, right? Not necessarily the greatest thing. Um, it's not good for the hobby, uh, because we couldn't have, we could never have gotten where we are now. Yeah. Which all this stuff that you're talking about, all these people that are these, you know, big players in the RPG community, that happens because you know we have set the gatekeeping aside and it's opened up to everyone, and it is truly an an all accepting, inclusive hobby. I think a lot of our personal experiences could also be a reflection of our upbringing, especially given. I know this is probably limited to us. Uh, we all were born and raised in the South, which is like the heart of like satanic panic yeah. and all of that. And a lot of that bred a lot of the gatekeeping mentality. My personal experiences has mostly been in fandom. Like I've had very few like tabletop gatekeeping experience, but I will go on to say that I too was like bullied heavily as a kid. and kind of led to my demeanor being more standoffish now and a little cold, which you know, I apologize for. Uh, it's one of the parts about you we love, Brody. If you just go to the tentacles, that's the one we have issues with. <laughs> <laughs> I try to keep those at bay. 
Uh, let's you, you mentioned some because I actually I have a few that I was I, I know of, and actually one or two that unfortunately not I I took part in in my younger years. Not proud of it. I use it as a as a learning experience. I have learned and moved from then. Now a lot of gatekeeping, unfortunately, because not so much now anymore. As I was doing a little research on this, twenty years ago, the percentage of the the majority of players of tabletop role playing games were white men, specifically of a certain you know stereotype background kind of disenfranchised. Now I think it actually is more along the lines of. The stat I showed showed at at most forty percent of those who play in tabletop role playing games are that old stereotype of the the white nerdy cis male kind of man, and the majority of them now are the more the should we say liberal thinking usually uh, not conforming to certain social standards. It's actually becoming more and more prevalent and more and more inclusive. That's great. I love that. It opens up avenues of thought and actions that you know you may not think about. But it is more common in certain social circles that fit that certain stereotype. Uh, and again, unfortunately, I, I took part of one of these when I was in high school. It was what a friend of mine had invited me to play at a game they were running at school. Unfortunately, it took part during, <laughs> during band, so I couldn't go play. Yes, I was a band nerd. However, a friend of mine, her name was uh, Genesis, she wanted to get in and play on and play D&D. And I unfortunately did not, I was a kid. I want to be cool like these, who I thought these guys were cool. Uh, and, you know, quote, girls don't play d and I kind of went in with that. It, it's, uh, yeah, I, I'm not proud of it. And look, there's a lot of stuff I did as a kid because, like you said, of how we were raised, what we were taught to think. But now I look back and go, I, I was a horrible human being. I thought of a quote while you were talking about that, that, it resonates more with me now as an adult than ever before is I am not the same person today as I was even five years ago. Looking back, I I did some cringy things. Oh God. Yes. And now it's just like me personally, how far I've grown as a person and an individual become more open. My mindset is, is open to newer things and used to, I was so standoffish about everything. Like I'm not trying that. It's no, I don't want to try new things. I don't want to go new places. I don't want to meet new people. Now I'm I'm a little more open to it than I ever was before. And I think a lot of people, since D&D in particular has exploded in like this second renaissance almost. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, I think a lot more people have become more, um, their ability to come out of their shell, so to speak, has, has uh, emboldened them because of you know, like popular people and media, like, you know, D and D is cool now and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, this is the gatekeeping mindset of going, well, I was doing it before it was cool. Yeah. I was doing it before it was cool. I say, I think that's less gatekeeping and more just pride. Like when you, when you pride do can some, be a bad thing too. Pride can certainly it, be a bad thing. What's the old say it goeth before the fall. But when you, when you see, you know, something that you have taken hold of when it was a niche thing and you watch it grow and become this mainstream thing, there is there's some worthy pride there. There it is. And I think that healthy organisms grow. Healthy communities grow. And I think that that's what has happened is like with all of the changes uh, of the people who've been playing in this hobby that they've gone through, if they've grown up in life, uh, like all of us, yeah. um, that hobby has grown and it has seen gatekeeping kind of 
less in its hold. It's been more mainstream. Uh, it just opened itself up to people. It's it's healthy at this point. Yeah, there. I mean, any it's it's a rule of of life of the natural world. Anything that does not change will die. Yeah. If anything just sits and stagnates, it will not survive. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, we've seen that in the physical D and D itself from the first editions up now to you're know, going on to one D and D. Had those editions not changed with the times, had they not adapted and moved with what their players wanted with their player bases, the game would not exist. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's fun to sit and talk about and laugh at. I would not want to play first edition D&D right now. No. That, I don't want to play anything that has Thaco for sure. James, stop saying that word. Thaco, Thaco, Thaco. <laughs> but uh, it's actually kind of funny. I was, there was a TikTok I was uh, watching where a, this individual, they were saying that they hate the fact that the culture that they had to literally, you know, be berated for and beaten up for that. They, you know, it was that now, you know, nerddom is cool. That's not, I hate that. And then a guy came in and goes, dude, that you're, no, it's not a point of pride that you were bullied for that. That was sad. Yeah. It should be a point of pride that the, the culture you were part of the very beginning, like you said, that you helped to facilitate and grow it's become mainstream now. It's become bigger than that. It's moved past that. That should be the point of pride. Yeah. The, the fact that now everybody can go, huh, okay. That was, this is pretty cool. You were right. I'm sorry. This is Look, great. At, at the shop here, there's something possible now that would never have been possible when I was a young man. Um, we, we have uh, date night games, right? Yeah. To where you can sign up for a one-shot you and your date, or if you're on a double date or something like that, and run a game for a date night. Because previously, you just weren't dating if you were playing D&D. It was one or that's, the other. That's fair. You just had to pick one or the other. You know, as we said in the uh, the uh, the one about Darkest Dungeons, we were not untouchables. We were just untouched. Uh, <laughs> so there, uh, ladies, if you would like to uh, have a date night. No, okay. Uh, we're not. <laughs> Sorry. Anyone, if you'd like to have a date night with <laughs> Uh, but it is, and that's it's also the fact that because the the community has become more open, and that you know, you know, that the the concept of you know accepting, you're meeting more and more people who you did not know you shared interests with, and I mean, literally, this podcast would not exist without the D without our nerdum cultures. I mm-hmm. would never have met yeah. any of you were it not for you know Magic the Gathering. That was literally the first time I met you guys. Yeah. That has snowballed into this. I don't know even know what to call this now. This is it's beyond friendship. It's beyond you know dreams. This is just In the words of Dominic Toretto, family. God, <laughs> no regrets. I have a few. Uh, what are some other examples? I, I kind of gave the one that I took part in. I've actually seen others, and we'll get to some. But what are some of the examples? It doesn't have to be for D anD D because gatekeeping, unfortunately. It's not limited to the tabletop role playing genre. Absolutely it is, not. It is every aspect of nerdum. And actually, sometimes outside of nerd culture, I've seen oh, yeah. examples of gatekeeping. I mean, it's just part of human nature. It is. Not a good part, but it is a part. So what are some examples that you guys have seen or or actually maybe in some cases you've stood against gatekeeping? What are some examples of, of it you've seen? Uh, I'm, this isn't exactly a stand against, but I do remember about four years ago, I was sitting down to run a game and uh, I sat down at the table and I looked at my people and, and I had an absolutely even mix of males and females playing the game. And I distinctly remember that being the first time it had ever happened. And I even told the group, I was like, guys, this is kind of something I haven't 
seen before because you know you were talking about how girls don't play D anD D, you know, and, it, and there was that mindset for a long time. But when I sat down and I saw that, it dawned on me this is different, it's changed, you know. And now here at the shop, most of the games I'm involved in, uh, it's pretty evenly split. You know, there's that. It's not an example of having to deal with the gatekeeping situation, but maybe I brought bought Brody enough time to think about something. <laughs> no, he was listening to me. <laughs> uh, I mean, the only, the one that I can think of comes immediately to my mind is involving a particular fandom. And it's the, <laughs> surprise, it's the Godzilla community. This is a franchise that's 68 years old. And uh, it's got a huge amount of generational following. There's so many, there's, there's like people now that just discovered like, you know, I thought this was just, you know, kind of dumb, fun. And I really like these movies. And they're like, I see it on Reddit all the time. I'd, hey, I'm, I'm new to the franchise. What movie should I start with? And there's always, always going to be somebody that's like, um, they'll, they'll say, you should start with this one because all the other ones are garbage. And it's like, hold up. The, the advice I usually say is like, you know what? Which one did you see first that you enjoyed most? I was like, well, I saw the most recent ones. Like, okay, watch those. Then if you want to expand more, go watch the original and then pick what you want to from there. What if I said my favorite is one, Matthew Broderick? <laughs> we need to turn these mics off right now. <laughs> I will bite my tongue and actually watch it with you and show you some of the, the aspects that I enjoy about it. because. Um, it's not Godzilla. It's Zilla. Uh, but that's a, that's a side that's tangent. A side, yeah. That seems like a really nice way to say, I will watch it with you to show you why you don't like it. No, look, I, I'll, as, as, look as a kid, it was a big, giant monster movie. I, I liked it. I went back and rewatched it here like, like within the past five years. I'm like, my God. Oh, <laughs> I feel okay. Um, I guess man was the true monster after all. Uh, I was like the first time I decided to like get into the fandom, like when I had access to like the internet, you know, you know, growing up as a kid, it was just you. Yeah. And, uh, I began to notice things, especially with people going, well, here's my review of this film. I like it for X, Y, Z and all other opinions are invalid because this one's the best. And it's like, well, that's just fandom one Oh one. Yeah. But when you take it to the next step and you go, uh, I don't think they intentionally go after anybody else's opinions. Like, no, it's not great. It's a shitty movie. You shouldn't watch this. And it's like, that's, that's your opinion. You, you don't, you didn't give it a chance first. There's a lot of negative people in fandoms that will, in, I don't even know why they do this. They go out of their way to ruin your day. Basically. If you say, I love this because this is why I like it. It's a cool thing. They're going to go, well, here's reasons why it's not. I didn't ask for your opinion. Yeah, that that's, that's and it's happened. On, like, cause I a lot of my and I'm uh, a lot of my stuff is done through TikTok, and the the community, the D and D TikTok community is great. The community itself is great. It's just when you go live and you get those outlying individuals who you know they feel so bad about themselves and they they're too scared to look at a mirror and realize that they are a trash human being. That the way they make themselves feel good, I've got some opinions about this subject, the way they make themselves feel good is to try to ruin your day or try to evoke an emotional response from you. 
Uh, you mentioned something, Brody. It was very, it's kind of poignant that, you know, back in the day, it was just you. Like, it was just you and maybe the one or two friends that that you had in your your local circle because, you know, we could jump on our cell phone and go to, you know, this random website and talk to people 30,000 miles away. My God, technology is amazing. But the the main thing is, like, I there was a guy in our school who, because uh, I played Digimon when I was in, not, not Digimon, Yu-Gi-Oh! when I was in, uh, in high school. And he was like the go-to guy. If you needed a card, he had the card. If you needed information, this, that, and the other. And, you know, he kind of basically built this ego of, you know, I'm the best player, yada, 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 until we went to an actual tournament and he got his head stomped in. And then, well, they cheated. And it's, it's that whole aspect of somebody may know a little bit more than you do or somebody may know a little bit, may be a little bit better than you are and you don't, Again, you don't want to hurt yourself emotionally. You don't want your to bruise your ego. I think a lot of this is the fact that these people are so they are so addicted to what they're selling that they can't even begin to think outside the box that they may be wrong. Well, most people, I say, and this is this is assumptions and James's opinion. So take that with a pound of salt. A lot of people feel that they don't have the amount of control in their life they would like to have. Yes. And if they can establish authority in something, in some field, it gives them a feeling of control. And that, I think, is where that stems yeah. from. I think that's coming from a need to feel control. And that's why people are so vehement. Like, even in something like a Godzilla fandom, right? You know, that's, that's not a, a live-or-die thing, you know? It's, it's not that... Serious. Please depends don't murder the, me, Godzilla. Depends fandom. which fan you talk to. But please, please don't, please don't track me down. Um, but that need to establish some type of authority in order to feel some control. I mean, that that helps orient people in their life sometimes. And I, I think that the key is because I don't, I don't, I don't look at somebody's current state and just write them off. Sometimes you need to do the hard work of talking to somebody and helping them yeah. and and helping them move past that. Because I have had things that I've gatekeepy have been gatekeepy about. I've had things that um, were just not great parts of my personality, and I have some good friends who have taken me aside and said, "Hey, this does not look good on you. This is what I think's going on," and it it has helped me move past it. So don't write people off. Oh, yeah. If you have somebody that's gatekeeping, don't write them off. Talk to them. They they may not. This you because outlook. I'm I'm going as much like an A. I'm just I have to kind of go out and say this in college. I was thoroughly on the road to being the defining neckbeard. It was not, it was not. I was cringy the way I, I interacted with people, especially with women. It, it was like I, I was on the neckbeard path. So like you said, I had some amazing friends that pulled me aside and said, off at this, this is not a good look. This is, let's, let's talk. And, and they started, you know, because I never had anybody do that for me. Yeah. And thankfully, amazing people. And even to this day, I have great friends who I'll, I can ask questions about things. You know, it kind of helps me. It betters myself. That's another thing is a lot of these gatekeepers, they don't want to change. They are so, they're, they're like the high school quarterback 30 years later that he's trying to relive his glory days and he doesn't want it to end. Yeah. But what they don't understand is that those days can get better if you let other people come in. Now, there are, I have seen cases where people were labeled as gatekeepers. And this has happened to me because it's very common in, in, in a D&D table where, like, say, because when I first started making my world, I didn't really know how to bring a lot of things into it. Uh, like, I just kind of kept the base, you know, the, the Lord of the Rings base monsters and that kind of stuff. 
And so my whole thing was, you know, well, no, no weird races, no, no portals, nothing. Kind of keep it to the player's handbook. Uh, so somebody came in and go, well, I want to play, uh, he goes, I want to play a, a, a Warforged Paladin with this 30, this homebrew, uh, a homebrew um, oath, this, that, the other. I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry, man. That doesn't really fit the game I'm going for. And he literally said, well, you're just being a gatekeeper. And so I felt ashamed and let him in and he wrecked my game. But again, looking back, I was like, I, I, now, I would, I, now I have gone. No, no, no. I'm not being a gatekeeper. I'm not saying you can't play that character. This isn't the game for I'm you. I'm saying this is not the game for it. A great TikTok I love, it was the guy was... Well, he goes, I want to play a human rogue uh, with an apparatus, uh, apparatus of callish, but instead of a swim speed, has a fly speed, and I want to call it the Centennial Peregrine. Like, did, did you just make Han Solo in D&D? He goes, yeah, 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 yeah. He goes, I'm, I'm sorry, man, that sounds fun, but, you know, this isn't the game. This, I can't allow that. He goes, well, gatekeeping much? He goes, no, no, hang on, hang on. They turn to the camera. If your dungeon master looks at you and goes, hey, that's a great idea, but it's not a fit for my table right now, that's not gatekeeping. No, not at all. That is your dungeon master trying to protect the sanctity of their game. Yeah. And that's a fine thing to do. The the the, the most famous example being on uh, the gamer's darkness rising when uh, the DM uh, told the uh, the Chad character, you know, uh, this is a, a Western theme, you know, he goes, well, can't be a monk. He goes, well, by the rules is written, I can't. And he kind of finally worked it into it. He goes, and I'm also an elf. So you get the great seed in the in the actual game where he rips the elf ears off the guy. Yeah, that's not gatekeeping. That is your dungeon master going. I'm trying to go for a certain aesthetic. Yep. Or and in some case, the guy was running a module. Like, I'm sorry, you can't be Han Solo in Curse of Strahd. It just doesn't work. <laughs> I'm not giving you any idea. Uh, but yeah, that's not gatekeeping. That is actually that's a healthy thing for a team to do is be able to go. That's a great idea, and maybe one day I'll write a game or we'll work that into yeah. it. But for right now, the you know, I'm just supposed to become like a grim, dark, you know, very serious game. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to play this goblin, wild magic sorcerer who can't control his power and has split personality. That does not fit the aesthetic we're going for. It disrupts both cohesion and immersion, and those those are two things I look for in a game. Like I will. Having having a shop where we cater to people who play want to play a certain type of game, yeah. we'll run whatever game for you you want ran, right? But I want to try, like if I'm going to play in a game, I want to look for something that has cohesion and immersion. Yes. That's what I prefer. That's my candy stick, so to speak. But everything's viable. You just got to find the right table for it. If if that table's not the right one, it's just not the right one. I agree, we have a totally. whole questionnaire that both DMs and players fill out, fill out to fix that whole issue. Again, wondering why I had to put my dress size on there, James. That was a different sheet for different reasons. I didn't get that questionnaire. Well, that's because you marked no dress. <laughs> oh. And then, and then penciled in no pants dance. <laughs> so. Because like when I start a game, and unless it's a one-shot, if I'm starting a long-term game, I am constantly thinking about ways to keep the game cohesive, to keep it moving what character archetypes will work, what kind of things will and won't. And so I usually plan games around. My rule is if it's a long-term game, uh, any official wizard printed material that is not setting specific for your class and that kind of stuff, class and spells. Yeah. Uh, setting specific stuff being like Strixhaven, Eberron, Theros. Cause a lot of that stuff is setting specific intended. Yeah. Now when it comes to races, go for it. I, I, my world of Fatera. 
has all the races in it, and I can that stuff's fine. But any setting specific thing or any homebrew material, I do not allow homebrew material in my long term game because a lot of it's just I don't have time to go vet the material to look through it. Same thing with Arnarth Arcana. Now, if we're doing a one shot, fuck it, go for it. If you want to be a, a, a dragonborn that shoots molten gold out your. Yes, go for it. Cloaca? <laughs> Ass. Uh, oh, listen, we were not going to bring up the Cloaca story ever again. <laughs> but that being said, me going, me limiting uh, the amount of things in a long term game is not a form of gatekeeping. It is a form of your no. dungeon master trying to protect the, the sanctity and in some case, the sanity of the game. Like, I, we should do a, a, an episode about, you know, playing what they call the chaotic, crazy character, because I've seen it done amazingly. I've seen it done horrendously. I will say that that particular archetype is done correctly or enjoyably about, at most, 20% of the time. It is. It's very hard to do right and not be disruptive. I have done it correctly. I've also done it incorrectly before. It's, it's one of those that you have to have a very good grasp of what you're doing to do it properly. Now, if I understand, like, you know, uh, Thunk, I think that was his name. The, mm-hmm. the uh, for, uh, He kind of does it correctly. My Antonio Cobalt does it correctly. Uh, I've had other scenarios where it was done incorrectly, and I had to step back. Oh, guys, I'm sorry. Let me try again. Uh, but that's an entirely different. But, yeah, the, the DM is charged with protecting the game in a way, protecting the story. And in that aspect, it's okay to go, I'm sorry, that doesn't really fit for this game. Let's try something else, or maybe we can try a different approach to it. And that is not gatekeeping at all. It's not. Matter of fact, I, it's a little bit off subject, but I, I have a dream of something I would like to do at least once. I would love to write six character backstories, make these characters, and then cast the D&D group. Pass the backstory they do and handle that however they want to, but create characters. And instead of, you know, just putting people in a game, cast those characters. And I would love to run that game. Because if, if you do that, like, people want to be there and they want to fill that part. And they, they, I would like to see what that energy brings to the table. I like that. that might, I wouldn't mind being part of that. Yeah. Uh, I see that a lot on online games here recently. And when I say recently, I mean, it's been a few years. And I, I've seen it increased a lot more. There's a lot, especially when it comes to like online games where people are not playing in the same room at a table together. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of casting where they intentionally say, you know, they're, they're looking for people of a specific personality or type or whatever. Um, and I've seen people online turn people away from that too, by saying, this is what we're looking for. No ands, if, or buts. And it's like, in my mind, I was like, well, that's kind of, that kind of like really slims down your, your pool of people. It's this one of those where you, like you, you, I understand, I understand from the sense they want, you know, a certain feel or aesthetic to the game. But at the same time, if you're saying, no, you're not even the person a chance to, well, let me try. Let me see what I can bring to it. And that, that's, I, I agree. I have seen, like, I've seen those like recently as like with this past year, you know, Hey, looking for a, an, uh, ogre barbarian, orc barbarian with this personality type. This is your backstory. You have this, 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 and this. It takes the, those to me are harder to make a personal connection with because you're just basically, you know, you're playing a, a character on a, on a play. Yeah. yeah. You're just playing a part. That's playing point. a part. Yeah. So do you think that that would cross back over into gatekeeping? I think 
I think it kind of dips its toes into gatekeeping. If done correctly, it can be fine. If if you're, it would it would be one I would go to somebody. Hey, would you be okay playing a pre-made character with the backstory stuff already flushed out, fleshed out, and everything? And you just kind of you act a part. If they say yes, great. If they say no, fine. You you give the the choice to the player. You as the DM don't take the choice from them. The whole so from from my perspective, um, and like I'm just now kind of talking about this because I never thought about it from a gatekeeping standpoint before. Um, as the DM who's wanting to run that game, I'm wanting to furnish a specific experience. That being said, as a player, usually when somebody says pre-made characters, I'm out. Like at that point, I'm out. It's just because that's not what I'm interested in doing as a player. Fair. Um, so I kind of think from that, it would be a perspective thing, you know, as in, you know, whether you're looking at it from a player perspective or a DM perspective. I, I have done pre-made characters, but it's always just the, the stats and then the, the personality traits, that kind of stuff. That's okay. So these are, this is your class and this kind of stuff. But as far as the actual like person, that's all on you. You be whoever you want to be, but these are your abilities. I could understand the pre-made character thing if it was a time-constraining thing. Like, maybe somebody dropped last minute and it's just unavoidable. Nobody expected it. So you're like, oh, crap. I got to make a character on the fly. It's like, hey, would you be interested in playing this character? It's already made. Well, the kind of where I I got the idea from is I I have played many pre-made characters, but every single one of them has been with you as a game master. Uh, that's why I made that look. <laughs> yeah. But see, the thing is, that's been for a specific experience. We've done that for Xenomorph games. We've done that for Predator games. We've done that for horror games. Most of those have been one shots. I know. So expected. that's what I'm saying. In the in the perspective of a specific experience, I, I don't think that's gatekeepy. I think that's just production, right? Um, and we've all looked forward to those games intensely. And I would look forward to doing a pre-made character in those settings again. But when you're talking about going not for production, not for a specific tailored one-shot type thing, I think that's much less attractive if you're looking at doing a long-term campaign. Yeah. Like, it's something that you would do for a session or four and be excited about. But it may not be something that you want to spend a year doing. Yeah, like Beck's character, Fenrir. Uh, Fenrir was supposed to be, just for, you know, about three or four, about four or five weeks, but one of our other care, our other care players was in a, a production, kind of ironic. And, you know, I sat down with Beck, did a kind of quick backstory, nothing too in-depth. And then after Seth came back and Beck was going to leave, like we had so much fun with their character that I kind of got, got everybody, I goes, guys, would you like to offer maybe a personal seat, you know, a permanent seat to Beck? Yeah, that'd be great. And so now, and now from that little, like, two or three, you know, sentence backstory. I, we've worked on this massive character quest in the world and it's allowed for more and more to grow. Yeah. Now we, we've mentioned gatekeeping and the, the negative connotation with it. And again, clarify, we take a just hard stand against gatekeeping and hard stand. You, nobody should dictate why you should be able to do something in this, in this genre, in this fandom. That's any fandom, be it, you know, D and D, uh, Godzilla, Digimon, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, Furry Phantom, whatever it is, nobody's nobody's opinion should limit your access to something you love. 
Yeah. And that's all what these boil down to is, you know, well, it's, it's my opinion that doesn't matter. Now, let's talk about safekeeping. Yeah. Now, this is where you, I grew up on a farm, mm-hmm. and I spent many years on bending knee in the hot, in the hot dirt and the hot sun, weeding out things that would kill viable plants, that would kill new growth. Same. Because if you did not do that, what happens? It chokes the plant, the plant dies. And I think that is a, a decent uh, metaphor, a decent allegory to, to safekeeping. You want to weed out the parts of the fandom that will kill it. And, I mean, the, the most common of these in D&D was, is it still kind of happens today, is the whole part, like I said, girls can't play D&D, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, now what are, cause I have seen, I've seen, I've seen and been part of safekeeping, but again, you'll be careful because too much safekeeping and you safekeeping has to rely not on your opinion. I think that's the, the big, when you try to, to protect what you love, it's not because, well, I believe this is what's best or it's my opinion. It should be what is best for the genre, for the table, for everybody as a whole. For safekeeping to work and be viable, you have to remove ego from it. Yes. Um, you can't do it from the perspective of yourself. You do it from the perspective uh, of like a sheepdog guarding the flock. Yeah. Like it's inconvenient for the sheepdog to do what he does, but that's, that's what his job is. Yes. He protects. Uh, probably one of the biggest just as an example of a healthy safekeeping thing, um, RPGs uh, are a kind of a attractive thing for people who have tendencies towards being like a sexual predator. Yes, I mean that's that's one of those dark things yes. that you mentioned before. It it's there for them because you have people who are, you know, outside of their normal comfort zone in life, doing things that they want to experiment and try on, and um. Folks who do things like grooming and things like that, it's an easy end for them. And you need somebody to safe keep yes. against those things. Especially because, especially if it's like a, a, a newer or younger player with a more veteran player, they, they have a tendency, well, you've been here longer, let me ask you for advice. Mm-hmm. I, I've had individuals in my Discord, I was brought, you know, hey, this is happening. What should we do? I'll kick them. Yeah. You don't want to give them what? No, you kick them. I, I do not abide by that at all. And now it's going to be my whole TikTok thing is we're not giving you warning. You want to be this way, be gone. Yeah. There are things that you work with people on yeah. and you try to help them understand for their sake to help them grow. And then there are things that are dangerous. Yes. And those dangerous things, there's a zero tolerance stance on that. You, you move that out and away from the people that you are protecting. Then there are so like, I, I love going on, like on to Reddit and there's other aspects, you know, crit crab, uh, Fire Drake, uh, the Crow's Purge, listening to all the different like horror stories and yeah. the different stories from D and D, and a lot of those stories come down to somebody allowing something that somebody should have stood up and goes, "No, hang on, that's." Or sometimes it's somebody not basically not going, "Hey, stop that." Yeah, because again, a lot of us were disenfranchised. We're not. Some of us are not very just like socially inept or socially ep- and you just kind of want to let things go. Well, it's okay. It's instead of a lot of those because again, it's it is difficult to to stand up and say, "Hey, no." Yeah, I saw a quote this week 
about something that and you may you just talking about that just then made me think of it as D and D and tabletop games in general tends to draw, especially now, more neurodivergent people or people that are in the the more polite way of saying on the spectrum. Yeah. As somebody that's neurodivergent themselves, uh I I've a lot of those people have a hard time saying, hey, this is making me uncomfortable because they don't want to upset other people. And I have done been in that position before where I kept my mouth shut and where I should have said something where a, a situation was happening. That's like, this is making me very uncomfortable. I, I also, as, as a kid, I, by today's standards, I would be diagnosed with Asperger's. And so there was that whole, I, I didn't know how to read people. Like I would say something and it would, it makes me upset. And because of how I was raised and this kind of stuff, I basically just would shut down. I wouldn't talk to anybody. Again, thankfully, when I went to college, these great people, these new friends, they started pulling you, kind of talking with me, this getting me a little bit more yeah. socially, you know, alert. But I understand even even right now, like there there are times where like something happens, there's still that part of me is like just it's it's easier just to you know, be over with. But it's that moment of now, especially because it's it's the sense like I, I say that it's different and you know it's when when you start putting yourself out there for people to, to watch, when you kind of begin to take a, a leadership position in this community, wherever it may be, you get a sense of, of defensiveness. Mm-hmm. When, when somebody kind of like starts to do that, you're like, no, I've, I've got to stand it. You kind of, you have to force yourself to override that neurodivergent idea of just, you know, turtle up and let it, let it pass. It'll be over with where now you, you kind of no, I've got to stand up and say something. And it's, it's not easy it, by any means. I can't tell you how scared I was. The first episode we did of Stagande, those cameras started rolling <laughs> when we, we started recording. Like, I'm a very introverted person. I don't like being put in the spotlight very much unless I'm in a sp- spot mentally where I'm comfortable. But most of the time, I, I don't like it. And you just kind of have to push past yeah. it because I was like, all right, let me get into the more upbeat chipper. And eventually I forgot the cameras were there, which can also be bad too. You can, yeah, that's You don't that's need true. to forget that the cameras are there. Refer back to no pants dance. <laughs> <laughs> but I say, you don't, you're, you're, you're not very outgoing. You realize well, this is a podcast, right, bro? Like, people will be hearing us. Yeah. I'm like I said before, <laughs> I'm not the same person I was five years ago. And, and, and that's, that's actually the thing is that it is, you can learn if you want to learn and change. You can, and that's a great thing. And that will take you from gatekeeping to where you go, wait, okay, maybe that's not the best way into the world of safekeeping where you go, no, no, I don't want you anywhere near this, this group that I love because you will, yeah. you're a weed. You will choke us out and kill us. I'll be honest. I've, I've had to talk to those types of people a few times and it's always a, Hey, can I talk to you here separately yeah. conversation? And when you talk to those people, it has to be both bold and blatant. Yes. It has to be frank. There is no beating around the bush. You need to tell them that this is what you're doing wrong, and I see it. Like, this this is not allowed. This is not something that I'm going to let you do. Um, if that's an issue, you have to move on. I, again, I have a few, few people I go, hey, I don't know if this is intentional, so I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt but you're making some people uncomfortable with your words and your actions. Now, if it is, we'll talk this out. We can't come to common ground. 
Because that, that's another thing. You you may want to get emotional. You may want to get fired up and, you know, grab your sword and shield. But it's those emotions that cause gatekeeping. Yeah. If you want to protect what you have, you have to stop. You have to set aside your own ego. You have to, and we're nerds. I will quote him any day of the week. The good of the many outweigh the good of the few or the one. Yeah. You have to think about, you have to kind of, you have to kind of keep your, your cool, you know, Hey, I, I, I want, I want you to be part of this community. I want you here. But if, if we can't find a way to, to rectify these, these scenarios, if, if you're not, if you are unable or unwilling to change, it may be best if you, if you left. One thing that I have kind of noticed, and this will help you if you're trying to discern if something is gatekeeping or safekeeping, most often gatekeeping happens in public, safekeeping happens in private. Yes. Again, a lot of times the way of what I have seen is gatekeeping is, gatekeeping is I do this because of how I feel. Safekeeping is I'm doing this because this is what's best for everyone. Yeah. I really don't think there are any like telltale signs of like gate. I mean, you have the stereotypes that we often make fun of, the neck beards, the chads, and that kind of stuff. I don't know of any like for for like actually I know of one. The uh if you play fatal, just get out. Uh <laughs> which if you don't know what the fatal role play system is, first of all, bless your sweet, sweet summer child in itself. Don't look it up. Um, it stands. You just, you just like hit Google search bar. I, I know for for a bunch of folks. <laughs> yeah, uh, spoke it into his existence. What's a fatal? From oh another, my god! From another time and another land is what it's called now. Uh, it used to be called fantasy adventure to adult lecherousness. That was what it was originally uh, printed. I under. hate to admit, I had no idea what you were talking about. It it is. I was probably going to Google that if you hadn't have said that. Like, I'll, when I'll, I'll tell you about it after the podcast. No, we're good. We're good. <laughs> I'm good. It, it, is, it, is a, it is basically gatekeeping the role-playing game. Yeah, I don't want to know it, anything it about is, that. It is horrible. Uh, that is probably the only, the only uh, role-play system that I will tell people, do not do. Do not partake of this, this system. Do not. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, I... Because it's not because I'm trying to gatekeep you. I'm trying to save you, folks. Don't stay out of that black pit. Oh God, this is safekeeping. <laughs> this is safekeep. Yeah, uh, but yeah, and I, as someone who has seen it, it is something that I, I, the only thing you should gatekeep is gatekeep. That is the be- That is probably the best way to say that. The only thing you should gatekeep is gatekeeping, because again, this is a it's a system. It's a a Topic that I know all of us love. Otherwise, we'd be making a podcast about it. Yeah, but not just. But in whatever fandom, whatever group you're in, don't keep people out for the wrong reason. I mean, yeah. some of the some of the most change that has occurred to my life is through friendships I have made because I went out of my comfort zone. I step. I put my ego aside and went. What can this person? What can they? What? How can they season my life? How can they make me a better? We talk to them and engage. Them. Yep. It's and it's that engagement, it's that that flavor that'll bring to your life that'll make it all the more delectable. I'm, I like a, little, that I'm word. a little hungry right now. I'm sorry. I'm also uh, pretty hungry. Ah, <laughs> uh, so I I think with that we'll we'll uh, put a, a capstone on today's episode. Um, again, folks, 
very adamant want to state that when it comes to any aspect of gatekeeping, officially this podcast stands against it. We want this this fandom, we want role-playing games to be open for everyone, healthily for everyone. We want this place to be this, a, a place that is accepting, that is, is, uh, is supportive, and is a place you can turn to not worried about, well, am I going to have fun? And instead have the question, my God, how much fun am I going to have? Yeah. So, uh, speaking for Playing With Advantage, I, as always, am Kenneth Moffat, a.k.a. Southern D&D. I apparently am James, the Hive Daddy. And I'm Brody, the Elder Fan. We just want to say thank you guys so very, very much for listening to us. Uh, if, if you haven't reviewed us uh, on Spotify, on iTunes, wherever you're at, uh, like us, five stars us. Head over to YouTube. Check out Scars of Midgard, Stagande Sagas. Uh, we're getting very, they're getting very close to firing that back up. I cannot wait. Also, you have on Southern D&D, I've, I've been kind of putting it off, but I'm finally getting the rest of the Natural One videos up. They're going to be loaded, hopefully, by, by the uh, first of the year. We'll be all caught up on those. Uh, some amazing things happening here at the Hive and Hive Medias. I can't say a lot about them because we're just getting the ball started. It's coming. It's coming. Uh, but yeah, thank you guys. <laughs> thank you guys so very, very much. That was uh, creepy. But yeah, uh, like, support us wherever you see us, subscribe to us on the various platforms. Do the uh, things. Do the things. As, as my favorite, one of my favorite podcasts, Old Gods of Alasha goes, uh, complete your social media rituals. rituals. Yeah. Ah, so yeah, for that and for playing with Advantage, I want to say happy holidays this end of the year season. Whatever you do, may it be love and supportive and the adventures you have last the test of time. Later, guys. See you soon, family. <laughs> See you real soon.